So I'm going to call the meeting to order. And um, before I open it up for public comment, I wondered if you would all join me in a moment of silence to recognize um, our our dear friend who's left, uh, who um, Isaac, Joel Isaacson, I'm sorry, I knew this, Joel Isaacson, you know, Joel to me was so vibrant and such a smart guy and always so up, so he will be sorely missed. So if you would join me just in a moment of silence. Thank you. So uh, are there, is there, oh, are there any the members? Oh, roll call. Oh, yes. Trustee oh, yes. Lawrence. Roll call. Trustee Lawrence. I'm here. Trustee DeVries. Present. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Lujanani. Present. Trustee Varney. Here. Trustee Zorthian. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Now that I have my glasses on, it may help my brain. So I will um, open our first opportunity for public comment. And we have one, uh, Susan Rosenthal. Hi, I'm Susan Rosenthal and I've been the ACMEA representative here for the last four years. And I came to say goodbye, at least in my official capacity. I, tomorrow is my last day of work and I have to say I very much appreciated being able to represent the employees here. And I just wanted to officially say goodbye. And I also brought with me the person who's going to be taking my place, Jennifer Bills. So you'll be seeing her here. And I also have to say it was really, we were able to uh, come to an agreement fairly easily on the contract reopener. And unbelievably, we have another full contract that will be uh, open and due on July 1st. So who knows what will happen, but I do really appreciate and I've enjoyed being a part of this community. So, thank you. Well, we thank you for your service. Yes, thank congratulations you. on your retirement. Thank you. Do we have any other public comment? Okay, then uh, I will move to our medical staff report. Dr. Walker, do you want to do any introduction for the fact that we've... Thank you. Dr. Chu is here representing Alameda Hospital in a substitute for... I'm sorry, San Leandro, because Dr. Dewan is out of town. And Dr. Yako, I think everyone knows, who represents the medical staff at San Leandro. Mm -hmm. I mean, at Alameda. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good one to introduce people. <laughs> would, you, would you like my glasses? It does help. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Well, I appreciate the introduction, and we will move to medical staff reports. And we can start with Alameda, if you like. Turn it on your mic. Yeah, we got a page nine. 
67 in your report. And the transfer center is, is operational. We're we're, the goal is to transfer patients from Alameda to Highland. It's a, it's a lot easier getting them from Highland to Alameda than it is from Alameda to Highland. And we're working on that. That's a it's a, um, it's a it's a it's a major major issue. And John Chapman has grabbed that one, and uh, I think it's it's going to happen. It's it's seems like it should be very very straightforward, but it has been very difficult because of the bread shortage at Highland. Uh, patient experience at Alameda has has improved from October to November from uh, 41 to 60 percent, and our goal is 68.3 percent. Uh, highlights prep pain management and communication, but medications is uh, as as um, above target for two of the three uh, issues. Uh, this October to November uh, uh, was largely unchanged in uh, in many many areas. Those survey returns are still affecting scores. That's that's the ability to get data from the patients. Uh, we we review the H caps. Every month, every MEC, and tomorrow we have our MEC meeting. And then the insurance out-of-pocket expense is a huge issue, and the doctors are quite, quite troubled by this. And I think it's mainly the health plans who have are trying to bargain and, and use their tricks. Uh, those of us who are providers know about health plans very well. And uh, this is not our thoughts are not good. They are very, very, very heavy-handed, and they're playing playing tough with hospitals and provide and, and individual physician providers. And then the informational policies and procedures for your review are in your uh, agenda. I'll take any questions. Please, Joe. Jeff. Well, um, I mean, since since it's on the agenda and you brought it up. And I read the newspaper article, and we all probably did. Can we can we talk about the status of this negotiation with the insurance companies, and kind of give us an idea of what timeline or what to expect, or how to play hardball back, and well, et cetera? I don't know what, what's appropriate, but I, it seems important. So, sorry, um, uh, David. I, is this thing on? Am I on? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, David is in a. Um, I think they're probably wrapping up in the EHR. Oh, he's right here. Oh, there he is. Okay. Uh, do you? Do you? I was going to say. I think we can speak in some some broad strokes because it's negotiating, and so we can't uh, talk about it in an open strategy. But we can talk uh, somewhat high level about uh, what our you know what our uh, plan has been to communicate both with the providers and the patients about what's going on here, and and you know in some context where we have had some success, and where we're still working probably. So, David. Okay. Um, did, did you get banned from the group here? Yeah, is I that? Have a, <laughs> I'm just, oh, right, I'm just right checking. There. Yeah, I was, I was like, where is he? It's, I, thought I, checked and it I wondered if you, there were some chits or some kind of, you had to earn your way up to the table. Or, there are no kids' tables here. <laughs> um, it, it is very difficult. And we actually continue to um, uh, sign contracts. We actually signed a contract with... Um, Anthem this week on physician professional services for the Medi-Cal managed care population. That was a nice increase. And um, <clears throat> we continue to do that. We have um, uh, three major contracts that we would like to have. 
Um, and the issue really is not um, uh, financial. It's just these plans are so busy, they, it's just hard to get the time for them to, to deal with us. So, Who are, who are those? Um, well, um, Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna. Okay. And Aetna is involved in an acquisition right now of Humana. Um, been significant turnover and new people at uh, uh, Blue Cross. Um, <clears throat> actually, uh, Trustee Jensen was very helpful at reaching out to an executive at uh, uh, Blue Cross locally, the regional president, uh, who has indicated a willingness to talk. And so I placed a, a phone call into him, and I'll probably contact him tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> and um, in the meantime, we're... Um, uh, you know, pursuing the strategy of ensuring that if they're non-contracted, that uh, when patients come to the emergency department, they have to pay non-contracted rates, which are you know two to three times higher than what uh, they might otherwise do. Um, the other thing we continue to do is to work on this uh, prompt pay discount policy uh, in terms of implementation, so that it takes some of the burden off of uh, PPO type patients. Um, <clears throat> We know that's a struggle. We know it doesn't address every concern. But um, and then, of course, in um, in January, it, in particular, that's when everybody's self-pay deductibles reset. So it's a particularly bad month because lots of people, even with insurance, decide to defer uh, care because of the uh, the high deductibles. So that's that's where we are. Okay. Do you have any other questions, Trustee Devries? Yeah. I, it just seems to me that. I'm, I'm guessing that the population of Alameda that uses Alameda Hospital is a generally insured population. And so it's really vital to our long-term sustainability that we're getting paying clients that can pay more than Medi-Cal, right? Uh, the, the sad thing about this is that with, without a contract, we're actually doing much better um, than we were before. With poor, we have before we had very poor contracts and got paid a little. Now we have we don't have contracts, but we're getting paid. In the case of Alameda, approximately five to six million a year more, because when patients come through the emergency department without a contract, as they can, then we bill the insurer essentially full charges and get paid that. So that's not that's no comfort to the patients who. Uh, you know, so obviously we want to resolve this and get contracts so that it's not an inconvenience for anybody. Uh, I agree. And I, I, don't was, understand I was going to add that. that. Would you? So <laughs> I, I think what the another sort of layer of that is so so what David is referring to, which I I, I, I gather and uh, David can tell us is uh, the bulk of those population or those those patients that we're seeing uh, are entering our system via the emergency department, uh, but we do have others who may come as referrals for either ancillary services and other things. If they're coming as a referral and they don't have a contract, then they're exposed to going out of network and the costs associated with that. If they come as an emergency room visit, um, it, so long as you know it's a justified visit, uh, uh, the plan has to pay the costs uh, uh, for the person's care. And without a contract, they don't have a, a negotiated rate, and they end up paying our full, uh, full charge. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. No, the the if they have insurance, the provider yeah, does. Yeah, most insurance will do yeah. emergency. No, for emergency, but non-emergency. Non 
for non-emergencies, if they come, then yeah, they are they are uh, subject to going out of network, uh, just like any of us would be, and and then uh, they are they are at at risk for that. And as David was saying, we've been uh, working on a prompt pay discount for people, so that you know if they still want to get those services, which we want to enable for them, that this is this in some way mitigates the the impact. It's not a complete absolution of it. So if you said you know. I don't, I'm just using an example. Uh, um, you know, if you were going to get a, 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 a lab or blood draw, and um, and you knew we were out of network, but you came to us to get it done, and say that fee was um, $250 or something like that, that uh, we could work it on an arrangement with you that says that well, if you pay within X amount of period, uh, there's there's some value to that, so we would reduce the cost. Uh, so it's not you're not subject to that whole that entire amount. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Well, if if their insurance company had a contract with us, they wouldn't pay anything. Well, they could still have to pay their deductible. deductible. Yeah. They would still have to pay it. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, just to me, it seems like it. It. it, it if I were in Alameda and my doctor said, "Now you need to go get a lab," and I've always gone to Alameda Hospital, and now I can't without paying out of pocket, mm -hmm. it really. You know, really shakes the, the whole concept so the, of the system in Alameda, correct? In, in that city and on that island. Except, though, just to be clear, there there are other drivers in uh, sort of uh, managed care that could impact that too. So, for example, if you you may know in Alameda that the the largest family medicine group was acquired by Stanford. So there's a group of family medicine providers that uh, are now mm -hmm. a part of the Stanford network. If you are, and I don't know their insurance arrangements, but I'm just placing an example here. If, you were, if that group was capitated for a group of lives and you were one of the Alamedans uh, whose um, um, services they were capitated for, if they didn't have an arrangement with us, if they said, uh, per our agreement with Stanford, any sort of services that you need that are inpatient or ancillary, you know, those things, you have to go to Palo Alto or you have to go to wherever. We have a contract that also influences your, your, your demand. So, so we don't want to in any way inhibit people's access to, to, to the facility, whether they are commercial, Medicare, Medi-Cal, or uninsured, uh, uh, part of our mission. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, what we are doing and what we're explaining to people is that we don't want to in any way um, uh, subsidize private managed care companies' ability to, to basically not pay the cost of the care uh, that's being provided there. Uh, that, and it inures to not necessarily the patient's benefit, but the health plan's benefit, and it actually um, um, is a negative impact to the organization. And does that does that make sense? Okay. Sort of. Yeah. Trustee Jensen. I mean, I would you? just I would add to that. It, really, the, the the issue here is for the patients who are who see their doctor, their primary care doctor, who are going to Alameda Hospital routinely. That's where they've been going for for their tests and for other services for for their um, care and now they they can go there and pay out of pocket but more often they will go to another site and so I'd ask Dr. Yerka to comment on that because I've heard from physicians as well as patients I know we saw the article from the um, the patient the Alameda patient but I think physicians are really finding this to be a challenge too because they're having to send patients to places <clears throat> that they're not as familiar with perhaps or that they they would prefer to have their patients at Alameda Hospital for tests as well as for um, inpatient care. Well, the hospital uh, recruited two very good surgeons, and this is pretty much 
made their practice an emergency coverage. They used to do a lot of elective surgery, and now they're losing patients, so they're quite upset by this. Could, could you explain what what was the circumstance that put us in this position? Is it the Affordable Care Act? Is it and why does the relationship with us affect Alameda where the insurance no longer, the people who were, were going and getting insured and getting paid now don't? Sure. So what, I'll, I'll what, what happened in that relationship? I'm not understanding that. Mm, sure. As part of the yeah. um, review of the financial uh, problems that we were uh, encountering last year, we looked at all issues, and we determined that the uh, many of the contracts that had been signed, uh, e either recently or historically, were paying way, way, way under market rates. <clears throat> so in order to change those, we went back to the payers, and, and as we could, we said we're sending you a notice of cancellation, usually six months in advance. We'd love to have a contract with you. Here's our contract proposal. In most cases, that has worked out. We've seen a very significant improvement in um, overall reimbursement from contracts, but we have these three that we would like to address that we have not resolved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of the, and I'm not speaking specifically to this example, but some of what happens uh, a lot of times in, in uh, the sort of provider and uh, payer um, uh, relationship, and I think this is what Dr. Yako was alluding to, is many times when, when uh, uh, payers put together their network, meaning where you can go to get your care, uh, some of the calculus for wh who they contract with is network adequacy. So who are the providers and organizations where we want to have a contract because we feel they, they're vital to our ability to take care of this, you know, our members in that area. Um, when you are a facility where you are um, independent, smaller, uh, your your negotiating ability is impacted by that. So, so many cases, um, if if that's where you find yourself, you either can be excluded from someone's network or you are included, but at really uh, uh, disadvantageous rates. And so, um, um, I think part of our recognition now is that with uh, both San Leandro and uh, Alameda Hospital, it's a part of our, our network and a much larger system uh, that offers a different opportunity for uh, payers to look at us as a, you know, more uh, a larger provider and a, and a broader ability to provide services to uh, um, a community. And so, you know, we're 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 working to to do that in a way that, again, addresses some of the financial issues that we incurred last year that we would rather not incur. On a so, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut anybody off. I, I beg your pardon. Uh, so, so providers then, do they, do they look at more favorably a larger, a, a larger organization than the smaller? It is... Yes and no. Sometimes it's not the size. Sometimes it's it's also what you offer within. I see. Uh, some okay. of it is location. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of different factors, so it's not just the size, but that is one of the factors. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And and a, a big shift here is the um, um, emergence of narrow networks. So these are these are payers and providers 
coming together on a contract to say, okay, for this contract you can only go to certain facilities, and they're starting to cut other providers out, uh-huh. and that's that's happening. It's a it's a tectonic shift across the Bay across, Area right now, uh-huh. yeah. and across the country. I'm I'm reading. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Well, it's, it, we're we're much more heavily managed here in yeah, California, we, we but, but it lead, is across the country. We tend to lead the way. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay. sorry. So uh, we've been talking about this for some time about the contract negotiations and making, and we, you know, at uh, info board and committee discussed that what would it be from the patient's point of view that they would get a letter saying now, like while this was happening, that we you, we no longer do business with San Leandro Hospital or we do no longer do business with Alameda Hospital. So to make it a more uh, Seamless is not the word, but to make it a little bit more user, how have what have been done with the you know hospital staff and the patients to prepare them that this might be a few might be long drawn out, the others we expect them to go through fairly quickly, and what needs to be done so that we this was something we brought up a lot. We might lose a lot of patients because if they they won't be paying yeah. out of network costs if they could if they had al- other alternatives. Yeah, yeah. We, <clears throat> this one point is we actually reviewed the uh, list of <clears throat> canceled procedures um, at Alameda. And as of last week, there were five surgeries that had been canceled since the first of the year because of this, and two we were able to keep because of these new policies. But um, <clears throat> what we've done is to uh, train the staff with the script to explain the policies, because the letters that they get don't say, you can no longer go there. It says it's out of network and blah, blah, blah. And it's important to translate that for the patient so that they understand their actual uh, rights. So we're trying to, we're trying to get better. Um, at the uh, communication side of it. In- including asking them and encouraging them to, to uh, uh, one, one, helping them understand what it means because they, it, we recognize that the patients, particularly those, we're talking about Alameda, those on the island who support the organization and we don't take that for granted, obviously, uh, and want to get their care there and we want that to happen too, but we're encouraging them to to uh, uh, convey that, uh, that the importance of the facility to the plans as well to, to uh, hopefully encourage faster yeah. Uh, communication. I think, as David is saying, we haven't gotten any outright sort of uh, rejections. I don't believe it's just a where are we following in sort of people's priorities when they look at the overall yeah. uh, bandwidth of what they need to do. Well, I just want to say my concern is not. I mean, I, I, I commend you for cleaning this up uh, mm-hmm. from what we heard last year. I mean, I think we have to do this. Um, uh, I think it's funny that the insurance company took a swipe at us in the newspaper by claiming we were trying to double our, our reimbursement. When you really look at it from an Alamedian's perspective, they're paying taxes to subsidize their hospital because their insurance companies weren't willing to pay their fair share. And I cut my teeth as an activist in the late 80s fighting the evil insurance empire. So again, I, I commend you, um, and, and hopefully uh, we can get this closed out. Because um, it's, yeah. it's really, they're, they're not wanting to pay their fair share. Right. We, we hope to resolve this. Anything else, doctor? No, thank you. Okay. Thank you. We'll move to San Leandro. Okay. Um, on the annual dialysis review report, uh, San Leandro uh, Hospital, do you have a page? Yes. Yeah, hey, my, my name is uh, Joe Chu. I'm a uh, vice chief of staff, and I'm an emergency physician, and I work at San Andrew Hospital. 
For how long have you been? I have been in San Diego Hospital for more than uh, 10 years. Well, welcome tonight. We know you're substituting, and so you're, you're welcome. Thank you. So uh, back to the annual report, uh, annual dialysis uh, review report, uh, San Diego Hospital received a performance <coughs> ranking of good performer. And those are based on uh, the, the, those criteria as listed. And on the uh, quarterly report, uh, I'm, um, I ha had a hard time uh, discerning those uh, um, abbreviations. So it stands for Hospital Acquired Pressure Ulcer Harm Reduction Team. So that's what HAPU HRT stands for. On the fourth quarter uh, we, uh, of 2015, uh, we have one out of uh, 574, and that's uh, a 0.17% rate. And um, that's the uh, hospital acquired pressure ulcer. And for the harm reduction rate, we continue to uh, monitor uh, wound, uh, wound care uh, and, uh, in the hospital. And for the surgical service, uh, we do uh, monitor our uh, moderate sedation uh, documentation, and there's no fallout. And we'll continue uh, to, we do a review of our patient's record to uh, review uh, whether or not they were adequately documented. And on the Truth North Major, uh, emergency uh, room uh, length of stay, uh, discharge patient in hours. The medium length of stay is two hours and 36 minutes. That's from the time you reach the door to the time you hand the paper say that you can go. And that's 12 minutes, let's say, in October, which is uh, commendable because uh, we actually see higher volume in November. And however, uh, our, our uh, length of stay is still 30 minutes uh, above our um, true, uh, true north major goal and we are continuing to work toward that. And perfect uh, compliance rate, uh, our uh, October 2015 uh, perfect care compliance rate is 100%, which is uh, well about the 90% uh, target. And the preventable harm, uh, there's uh, actually some typo here, so let, let me uh, get you out of attention. Uh, the November 2015 over, overall uh, Harm rate is 0.435 per 100 patient, which is better than the, um, the goal of 0.502, which exceeded uh, the, uh, the, the, the major, but from what you read, it sounds like no, we actually exceeded the, the, uh, the harm rate, but we, it's actually better. We actually did better than the, uh, the goal. And actually, uh, I have some data from uh, for the year to date, 2015. Uh, our rate is 0.33 per uh, 100, so that's way below uh, our goal as well. And as far as the patient experience, uh, we are going to um, improve our survey uh, uh, methodology. Uh, we're going to uh, do more uh, coding and. Um, that's it for San Diego Hospital. Is there any question for me? Yes. Have you seen any impact from the from the the contract? Um, the fact that there's no contract. Have the doctors there seen an impact by Alameda Hospital? Actually, we are doing better in that respect. I believe. I'm sure Mr. Cox can uh, 
elaborate on that. But uh, mm. for, as uh, for Mr. Jackson uh, did really diligently uh, negotiating with uh, the uh, major player, and I think we are doing better. Um, <clears throat> San Leandro was uh, in the position of actually not having a lot of contracts. Um, so as we've been going through and, and getting contracts, we've added them. So they've actually been a beneficiary of the strategy. It's it's really Alameda who's taken the brunt. And, um, and I won't I won't mention the name of the plan, but we actually had an instance where the plan was willing to contract with Alameda. And we said, no, no, you have to take both. And they said, no, thank you. So that's made us rethink the strategy. Which is uh, surprising because I would think demographic is better at um, Alameda Hospital, and why would they be much more uh, willing to negotiate with uh, San Angelo Hospital? As far uh, as in, in this case, we are, are, are we surmised that the the plan had a uh, another relationship with um, Sutter, and uh, Sutter has a of course a hospital up the street, uh, and they didn't want to uh, disrupt that relationship. Mm. Okay. Dr. Walker, did you have something you wanted to? No, just to say that Dr. Shaw had to be away unexpectedly, and so the, the MEC report is in your packet. If there are questions about it, I'd be happy to do my best to, to try to address any of them. Okay. Any, any, any further comment? I'm sorry. Yes. Dr. Lugiani? Mm -hmm. okay. Trustee? Trustee, Doctor. trustee, I meant trustee. I meant trustee. Thank you for the promotion. <laughs> um, let's see. The um, I had I had two questions, and um, and, and actually the first question is more to Mr. Cox. Uh, this is with respect to the uh, health information management, and and we had touched upon this last time too. But mm -hmm. you know, it talks about delinquency rates. So you know. It, yeah. A goal of 10% and we're below that and all that and um, it just struck me as high and I was wondering what are other organizations, what do other organizations have as uh, targets? Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this um, is a kind of an upper limit or a best practice target. Well, it, it varies uh, <clears throat> depending primarily on the, um, the state of the electronic health care record because as you automate it becomes easier to do. Um, Subsequent to that discussion, um, I did have a conversation with um, Leanne Sherberg, who's the uh, Director of Health Information Management, and is the person who primarily tracks this and manages it. And, and she felt that uh, 3 to 5 percent would be a reasonable target for HS. Okay, so considerably less than the 10 percent, so... But in fact, what's required by the regulatory agencies is a much higher number, like 50% or something like that. that I mean, that yeah, I, I think you we have to be under 50% delinquent rate. And so we're way, way under what the regulators would be. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference between what you need to do to, to maintain your JCO accreditation and what a reasonable, you know, performance target should yeah. be. Yeah, so anyway, I'll, yeah. Anyway, I think that's something for management to work on. I mean, what the or think about what to do, and then I was just. Um, that's, uh, sure. Oh, I'm sorry. I could just jump in. It's yeah. medical staff responsibility primarily. Yeah. Um, so obviously, administration works with the medical staff yeah. to try to accomplish things, and 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 we've made some progress in that domain. We. Uh, mm -hmm. 
the, the medical executive committee at the core actually unanimously passed a suspension policy just at our last meeting. So that we have a few challenges in terms of implementation, but that was a big step because we've been trying to get that okay. policy through the MEC for a while. So uh, that was a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it just seems that you know you have delinquent records that it gets in the way of um, billing. It gets in the way of you know collecting useful information that would that would be you know, useful for to physicians to look across um, exactly. progress yeah. and stuff like that. So the policy gives us an enforcement Sure. Well, and ultimately, what you want to do is create a habit of just getting the records. There you go. Exactly. Right. Um, okay. You don't have any effigy things that you guys hang people with. Fit. I can't give away secrets because yeah, well, it's in draft. Pump. I mean, it's public ed, we used to do the stars across yeah. the top. A a stars. That actually works. It, it actually uh, helps sometimes just put the list up on the door. Yeah, I think that, that's a very effective. Yeah, mm. Kona. Well, we're using public humiliation. It's possible. I'm sure you that, that does work. Absolutely. That does work. That's why you have a psychiatrist working this. So. Okay. Can right. we move? Sure. Yes. Sorry, because it's on. I don't know when else to bring it up. But I mean, I guess I see the doctor left. But how are things at San Leandro? I mean, a year and a half ago, you know, we were worried about census and and, and beds filled. And I'm just curious where where we are now uh, versus then. Um, just a kind of a temperature check, so to speak. Um, so I'll invite others. Uh, James is not here, uh, who would probably be the most uh, uh, um, uh, informed person to speak on this. But uh, the sense I have is we we are we're fairly stable. We've uh, we've been able to sustain um, some of the uh, productivity improvements and the um, uh, it's weird to say, but uh, sort of volume improvement, if you will, like the emergency room and, and, and the volume there is, is, uh, it has, has, you know, it's, it's sustained the increase that, that has happened. There's a lot of uh, operational throughput uh, activities that are keeping the inpatient senses at a reasonable level. Um, uh, we, I think in the, I looked at some of our dashboard metrics this morning, I think um, we're uh, probably slightly down month to date on our surgical uh, volume, but that's actually something we've experienced at all of our sites um, uh, to a small degree. Uh, but I think fairly, by and large, everything's uh, from an operational volume perspective, uh, uh, pretty stable and, and uh, uh, on target. Uh, the finance piece uh, uh, you know, on a global perspective. David, I was going to say, Del Vecchio, that those, those, that data might be really worthwhile on Friday notes to include that. Sure. So that it, then you'd know every Friday where yeah. we, I mean, you don't have to do it every Friday, but sure. at least. But just a quick check in every, yeah, each time. Yeah. We, so we do daily so dashboards, we could, but we could, we could just give you a. Yeah. So on the Friday, put, put in the daily dashboard. And I think that would give everybody the sense of. Of okay. where we are uh -huh. uh, relative to what we projected for budget. Great. Yeah. Gladly. Right, and you're you're gonna see. <laughs> he's like, I'm glad you like that. Uh, I, I, David will go through that in the in the finances, and you'll see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. All right. You got some points with David on that one. <laughs> yes. Okay. Any other questions before we move on? Okay, I'm going to move on to uh, the president's report, and mine is relatively simple. Uh, one of the issues that the board had agreed to at the last meeting is that we wouldn't participate in a self-evaluation, and that we had some goals and objectives that we were we agreed to, we voted on, and I just wanted to show you that. 
Susanna has put together a template to track those goals, and it's in your packet. Um, and I want to encourage you to call her if she's missed something. And we can keep this on an ongoing basis. We don't have to have it at every board meeting. But I'm thinking that she and I can kind of monitor this as we go and then make it public um, twice a year or something, um, maybe again in October, and then as we get closer to our evaluation cycle. Does that sound okay? Okay. Gosh, so amenable. All right. We'll move on to the CEO report. So, um, Madam President, if I may uh, append to your report, uh, we are also, and Susanna may have mentioned this to you, we're also working on, in support of your, your goals, uh, two different documents to help you to uh, uh, facilitate the ability to do that. And one is a, uh, a document that's um, going to catalog a list of uh, either internal or community events uh, that are coming up in a calendar for those things, uh, so that as those opportunities present themselves, you, you all can select if there's, those are uh, the types of events you may want to attend and represent the organization as, as trustees. Um, and the second one is a, uh, a cataloging of a, a, a list of educational opportunities um, and continuing development, which was one of the That's things good. that your board asked for as well. Uh, we're, we're busy putting together sort of a first draft of that that we'll share with you and um, subject to people having any interest in any of those. And we can facilitate um, uh, either one or several of your abilities uh, to, to attend those things. Perfect. Um, and I, I do think we have the opening of uh, the 19th is coming up, March 19th, the opening, their celebration of the acute tower. And so is that the date? Uh, that's the family, family and community event. I think it's what we're calling it on March 19th. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so it, it, you know, if you have that day, it might be nice for you, you to be seen by family and community. There so, you yeah. Thank you. Do we still second? belong to the Governance Institute? I, I, I actually, I just got a, a. I was going through my budget today, and we were, we were looking for that. Uh, I'm pretty sure as of January, the answer to that was yes, uh, because I field tested one of their things. Uh, um, so I believe it's it's in fact correct. And uh, to that end, I um, I shared with uh, Trustee Lujanani, uh They they are on the list of opportunities. I know there's some reservations about some of their. Uh, uh, you know, let's say accommodations around their events. And so there's in no way a, a, uh, a forcing, uh, and we're going to balance that with things that are local and uh, perhaps a, uh, uh, even more germane to a safety net setting versus a broader setting. But, but I, my personal opinion is what they offer is, is great board education. Uh, uh, and so, you know, if I, I don't want to leave it off in the event that anybody's interested and would like to participate in that. And, and to your point, we have a membership. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I'll proceed and try to be a bit brief here, but uh, most of my report is centered around some of the items that are in preparation for uh, your your joint meeting with the uh, Board of Supervisors next next week. So a few uh, brief updates, some of, uh, of which um, uh, will be progressive and not final, but it still uh, prepares you uh, um, a little bit more for next week's meeting and anything additional I'll be sending to you between now and then uh, uh, to, to continue that average. So the first is on the uh, Permanent agreement. Uh, so I just want to share with you all that uh, uh, since our last meeting, uh, uh, David and I have met with the county leadership uh, to con continue our negotiations on the terms of the permanent agreement. And while nothing is yet finalized, uh, we are encouraged by the direction of the discussion. 
uh, we've shared uh, the latest update is we've shared a, a revised draft of uh, um, a permanent agreement that uh, reflects our our dialogue thus far, and we are awaiting feedback from the county. Uh, the general directions uh, of most importance with, with what has happened and, and the reason for our uh, encouragement is uh, a couple. Um, one else site is that the agreement uh, permits a long-term liquidity relationship uh, and a partnership between us and the county, and uh, it would require us, uh, as per the interim agreement, to continue to reduce the net negative balance, uh, but it no longer uh, is intended to pay off the entire uh, debt down to zero. Um, so the terms of the agreement, also another point of that is that the terms of the agreement may be shorter. This is what we're looking at right now, and it could be a five-year agreement with multiple uh, multi-year extensions, uh, and that's done mainly in recognition of the fact that um, um, the current and the uh, most recent uh, Medi-Cal waiver 1115 extension um, um, is, as best we know now, not going to be replaced in five years. And so we're we're holding that out as a point for which we need to make some drastic changes within our um, uh, our, our financing. Uh, and so we need to figure out what that means for us. And we'll um, uh, take this route because it forces an ability to revisit that without it being uh, driven by some non-compliance with the terms of an agreement that we might ultimately approve or that your board and, and the board of supervisors might ultimately approve. Uh, the third thing I think is of, of importance is that we anticipate um, uh, uh, some additional revenue uh, um, in the, in the, coming days or weeks that will give us greater ability uh, to meet uh, those revenues that will come from AB seven, something called AB 85 reconciliations. Uh, it's an agreement or a, um, a uh, sort of financing pathway between the state and the local counties. Um, David will be sharing more about that in the finance committee meeting. I'm not sure if he's talking much about it tonight, but perhaps he'll make reference to it. But those reconciliations and the payments that we expect in short order uh, give us greater confidence in our ability to meet the terms of the agreement over this uh, five your horizon, uh, while also maintaining uh, our operational uh, uh, needs for the organization. Uh, so, so we're we're as I said, uh, optimistic about the direction that we're going in now, uh, and uh, hopeful that uh, uh, we'll be able to come to terms on an agreement uh, that uh, can be approved by the end of this interim agreement, which is uh, the end of March, so the end of next month. So, um, I mentioned. There'll be a joint meeting next Wednesday on the 2nd. You guys are aware of that. The day before that, uh, we'll have an internal meeting between, uh, it's it's actually the CAO's meeting, uh, but there will be uh, uh, one, possibly two members of the health committee there, and uh, Trustee Lawrence uh, uh, will be there as well. And that will be an, uh, another uh, setting where we will preliminarily be talking about the status of the permanent agreement in uh, anticipation for the conversation the following day. Um, Let's see. So the hopeful sequence then is um, uh, we will adjourn from that discussion and, and, and come back over here and have our finance committee meeting, which is also scheduled for the second. Uh, uh, you and your finance or the finance committee's packet uh, that will go out tomorrow will have a draft of the agreement that is currently contemplated and, and that we hope will be uh, memorialized. But any changes to that, obviously, we will hear almost real time uh, so that we can come back and discuss it here. Uh, Barring there being anything substantive, uh, uh, we hope that we'll be able to uh, get get a review and get that out of finance committee meeting on the second. That then allows us to move forward with a board review and approval. Hopefully, then lease over to a health committee uh, for this board of supervisor review and approval, and then ultimately um, uh, the full board of supervisors approving that. And all of that will be 
facilitated by the joint meeting that we'll have on the second. So we're hopeful that that's a, we know that's an aggressive path, uh, but we're hopeful that we'll be able to move in that direction. And, and if not, then of course we'll, we'll course correct, uh, in partnership with the county along the way. So, um, should I pause there? That's, I only have like three main things so I can keep going or I can pause and take questions about this specifically. I was going to ask, is, is there agenda yet established for that joint meeting for the second you yes. know what i think i just saw an email uh, uh, about a moment ago from um um mj uh and i it was in relationship to that so i need to confirm that but i believe it is uh, uh but you should definitely have it by uh tomorrow i would guess because i think it needs to be uh, uh posted uh so uh, let me confirm that, but I believe it is. Uh, the the three things that I uh, anticipate will be on the agenda are uh, the, de the the permanent agreement, um, the 330H uh, uh, FQHC uh, um, uh, joint co-applicant process for which uh, Mike gave a presentation at the last uh, trustee meeting, and what's the third thing? Oh, the bylaws. Uh, which is my next uh, uh, update item. So mm -hmm. uh, those, that's what I expect to be the crux of the agenda. If if it changes, well, uh, uh, are you working? Uh, are are you working with? Were you? How many of you went to the last one? The last joint meeting. It was before I was here. Yeah. Oh, I know it was. Before. Oh, okay. I think so, it was like April of last year. What was the question? The last the, joint meeting. The last joint meeting. Who went? I'm at, I'm interested in. Okay, okay, all right. Um, the yeah, the one I remember was was not fun. So and so I'm wondering if there's been a conversation about seating and convers so that uh, yeah, I, I would just I would just ask that you might talk with those individuals um, so that. This is what I remember, and it was very uncomfortable. And I, and well, I think we have been working very hard to have a great relationship with our supervisors and the county. Some of those little things in my mind um, detract from a good conversation, and so it would be real helpful if you might attend to that. That's my perspective here. Understood, and I will. I appreciate you bringing it to my attention. I will. I will do uh, what I can to to foster a more uh, collaborative collaborative discussion and meeting. Yeah, or collegial. Collegial. Th thank you. Michael. We'll, we'll take That's collegial. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, so the second item, again, uh, another item for the um, uh, for next week's agenda. Um, uh, just wanted to point out a few things. So Trustee Lawrence uh, shared with the with the uh, rest of the board um, the sort of the outline, if you will, or spreadsheet of the the various changes that are being contemplated for the bylaws. Um, to my knowledge, there is no hard and fast deadline for when we'll do this. So so next week's discussion will be just a continuation of uh, a discussion about the bylaws and other aspects of the, uh, the relationship, for example, uh, the frequency of joint meetings and things like that, um, uh, that might be contemplated as a part of the continuation of those discussions of three series of meetings that we had. But just for the sake of reminding folks uh, what some of the uh, key points uh, would be um, uh, in the bylaws changes, is uh, one would be, uh, many of which are uh, recommendations and uh, requests that came out of this board's uh, contemplation, but one of those would be the uh, reduction uh, from the, uh, of the number of trustees or trustee seats from 13 to nine. 
um, there would be a change to the appointment process for trustees, and I won't go into a little detail on what that would look like. So, uh, at, at least as currently contemplated, um, eight of the nine trustees would be uh, recommendations that the Board of Supervisors would take from this board. Uh, uh, in that eight, one of them is the medical staff representative. The other, uh, one of the eight is also uh, a member of the Alameda Health District Board uh, per our joint uh, powers agreement with them. And then the rest are, are uh, every, everyone else. Um, uh, so all the rest of you. Um, uh, and, and so the process to replace uh, um, any vacancies that come up will be uh, codified in a in a process that will be outside of the the bylaws itself, uh, but will be reflected in the bylaws. So you know how we would post a vacancy, how we would do a screening, and then how this board would select uh, candidates who would then be forwarded for the to the board of supervisors for confirmation. Um, the ninth position is one that the board of supervisors is carving out for one that they would actually have exclusive. Uh, ability to appoint, at least as it's currently drafted. Uh, and I think, if I recall correctly, Mike, uh, the uh, the suggestion is that that individual uh, could be either the uh, director of the healthcare services agency or or someone else. Yeah. Oh, it said specifically the director of the healthcare services agency. Uh, so I know we had some uh, rich discussion around that uh, during the meetings uh, um, and that they were going to take that back for consideration. It seems like this is at least uh, currently where they've landed. So that's a point. If that becomes a point for discussion next week, then, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can certainly engage in that. Um, that was, um, I, th I think another, uh, that was the crux of the appointment, uh, part of it. Um, and, uh, one or two other ones is a removal of references to policies and procedures, because that became a point of sort of, uh, uh, of, misalignment because if we change policies and procedures whether that then required a new uh, 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 bylaws approval currently it did and so that didn't seem to make sense so if we move references we can still create board policy and procedures without it triggering that uh, requirement and then I think we're just doing a re uh, a cleanup of the committee references that reflects the current uh, establishment of the committees and ability to adjust those accordingly again without triggering a, uh, a need to uh, um, uh, Reapprove uh, the bylaws by the Board of Supervisors. I think those are the key points, and maybe one or two other things. We we were referencing that the mission statement needs to be updated to reflect our current mission statement, but um, there's nothing particularly controversial there. So uh, I'll stop there. Uh, if there are any questions or comments for me, I just would would ask that perhaps you have Susanna send that a grid back out okay. so that um, the we'll board do doesn't have to go digging for it and cool. they can have it with them at the meeting. So that, I think that might help you in your, in your conversation with the supervisors. Gladly. We'll okay. do that. Others? Yeah. Um, just, um, I wanted to pick up on the, um, on the permanent agreement and that's probably one of the most important financial, uh, Arrangements that this organization has, and so I just and and we're moving very quickly. You had mentioned that it's going to, it's currently in the draft finance committee agenda there as an approval item for recommendation to the full board. So things are moving fairly quickly. So I just encourage all the trustees, you know, to you know become familiar with that and comfortable with that or uncomfortable as the case may be. Yeah. And um, unless there's a Brown Act issue, I didn't just encourage. 
I'd invite any trustees who are not on the Finance Committee to come because we'll be discussing that um, at some length next um, Tuesday. Right. Tuesday right after Wednesday. Uh, no, it'll be Wednesday. Yeah. It'll be right after the joint meeting. Right, yes. So we can all rush back here. We can carpool over. <laughs> and, yeah, so please come as guests. And that's all I had to say. Thank you for that. Uh, for those of us that have, were at the December workshops, um, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is a good time to talk about it since we're going to be meeting with them next week. I mean, I thought there was some general agreement with what came out of that as far as the, what, what you just outlined. And I don't know if others want to chime in just so that, I mean, I'd rather talk about it now than... Are you talking about the ninth board member? What are you talking about? Oh, the, the whole thing. Uh, about you know uh, lowering our size uh, the, when the media you know, the, the the changing of the policy the procedure references the cleanup language uh, and as far as the ninth board member I mean I think we certainly could have a discussion right now so that we're more um, aligned or uh, rehearsed next week uh, uh, prepared as long, as long as you don't make you don't we don't come to consensus or we don't make a vote because it's not on it's not on the agenda but we can certainly talk about it as information sure so okay. we just need to be mindful of that but on that grid also has the column of agreed and not agreed so um, that's what I remember so if you attend to that that grid that came out you can see that there was uniform agreement, and then there was some areas of concern that were still left. And that area of concern that was still left, I think, was more of that ninth appointment was was really the issue. And I can to um, so that I'm trying to be careful here, so I don't violate anything. But um, I can say what my position was is that. If the Board of Supervisors chose as the Director of Health Services or what's the title? Health Care Services. That, that who, whatever individual that they chose would in fact commit to being an active and fully participating uh, member so that we weren't in a position to, when we had committee meetings, have to send special things out to, to an individual because they weren't at the meeting, or we have to reorganize stuff because they they are too busy to attend, etc. So I think right now we have a really active and fully participating board that is very conscientious with their duties, and I would hope that whomever the supervisor chooses that they have that same commitment to serving on committees and attending the kinds of things that that we're required to do. So that would be my only my only comment relative to that. Correct me if I'm wrong, whether they select the healthcare services agency director or anyone, really doesn't the board of supervisors select all of our appointees in in the end? Yes. They approve. <laughs> I mean, they approve, approve them. Yes. Yeah. I just want to I mean so we hope that anyone that they approve will participate fully in our in our meetings, right? Uh, yeah. I have a question. Um, some of this is prompted by what was at one point perceived to be a limited amount of communication um, and some disappointment about that. And so uh, what would we all say has been done differently? in the last nine months 
in terms of communication with the board that we could at this meeting even call out to say, well, we've been doing some things differently. I mean, is there anything that we would point to as a way to elevate um, greater awareness of the communication going forward? Uh, I, I would respond by saying that we have elected, selected, appointed, and hired a CEO who has an entirely different perspective on the relationship between the hospital and the county. And then I think the members of this board have really done, I think, a, a journeyman job in making certain that they also were sensitive to the issues that the supervisors have had to struggle with, have not been as, um, I guess, antagonistic or dug in on our position versus their position. So I would say that the change of climate overall has improved dramatically over the last eight to ten months. Yeah. And I, I, would, I would also add that I think a lot of you know, trustees have put in significant amounts of time attending meetings, um, you know, um, either directly related to um, Alameda Health System or just more direct or related to the health, related to health in Alameda County, um, and really made an effort to be present and get to know, um, you know, um, supervisors and, and other and other staff yes. at the county. Uh, I, also and I think that's very important. I, I do too. Thank you, Jim. And I, I also think, if I might add, that that I think that we have understood the importance of accountability. While we may not always agree, we're we're not shy about asking the hard questions, holding the staff accountable. Uh, I think we've done that pretty collectively. Delvecchia goes, yeah, you have. And, and I think that's an important role that a board has to hold the agency um, accountable. So I think we can also add that to our list of those things that has changed. Tracy. And one thing that has changed that I, I've seen just in, in the brief period that I've been on the board relatively is that um, these changes that you mentioned and with the, the new leadership, both the, the um, CEO as well as the leadership on the board, there's been much more transparency. It's not that the decision making isn't a silo in finance or a silo in quality committee or somewhere, you know, and then, okay, the board just, here it is, we're going to pass it now. The entire board, I think the new system of education, not only just educating about general, I, general policies and general things that are happening in the healthcare environment, but it's actually um, transmitted to our knowledge, our collective knowledge as a board, I think. And so the transparency seems to me to be something that the, hopefully that the Board of Supervisors has seen as well, and they've seen especially some of the issues that came up with regard to San Leandro Hospital in previous, I'll, I'll say previous administrations, meaning board administrations, but with San Leandro Hospital. And then most recently the issues at John George, I think, w were handled a lot differently in terms of both transparency as well as community input as well as, you know, not rushing to decision-making. Good. Thank you. So, um, um, I was actually going to respond to your comment and, and also uh, uh, say something uh, relative to what uh, Trustee DeVry said. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to underscore the the, the, uh, the real value of these sessions that led to these that that those joint sessions I think were really great in terms of un unpacking in a in a collaborative fashion uh, some of the 
challenges and frustrations that that were uh, that led to those series of meetings on both sides. And and then uh, to trust the point, the, the the if I if I understood the historic uh, historical context uh, well, the notion that the board is uh, um, uh, ceding some authority, the board of supervisors to the board of trustees for um, for identifying successors to the board. Um, I think historically that was a, a role that. I think it was well-meaning and actually a right thing for a board to be doing, even if you aren't self-perpetuating. But somehow that became translated as an obligation on the board of supervisors to honor those recommendations. And, and there was nothing codified that did that. And through these discussions, I think it's actually a, a point of, of um, uh, you know, feathering the cap, if you will, that, that the board of supervisors is, uh, at least as is currently drafted, entertaining the notion that, you know, for all but one of these roles, we're more than happy to say, you bring forth the candidates that you think are right, that the organization needs, uh, and then that we will, our determinations will be limited to those individuals, not as open as it currently is, which is the universe, or at least those that meet the current requirements of the universe. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Good discussion. Um, I would like to move to item D, the consent agenda. And does anyone need to pull anything off the consent agenda to vote on it separately? Now is the time to do that. If not, then I would. Oh, sure. I, later on, we um, one of the action items is to um, talk about the joint co-applicant governing board. I, what, can someone just refresh my memory when we talked about that last? Was that? At, at the education meeting. It was, yeah, it was. We have full oh, presentation okay. on that. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Um, can I have, a, did you have something to pull I, I on the gonna, consent agenda? I was going to move. Oh, thank you. Um, I would move uh, approval of items D1, D2, and D3. Okay. And Second. D1, D2, and D3. Yes, thank you. Second, we have a first and a second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Terrific. Okay, action item E, uh, recommendation to establish the joint <coughs> applicant governing board. Uh, do we have any discussion? Is there a motion? I move that we go with um, the good option. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which letter it was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the the established the option C that we establish a joint co-applicant board. Trustee Varney, did you have a? Yeah, I I, I have about twenty questions. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, is that okay? Absolutely, that's what it's there for. So, um, before we do that, let me get let me formally get a motion and a second, and then we'll have the discussion, and then you can decide whether or not you want it up I'll, or down. I will second that. Okay. okay. So now it's, uh, now it's open for discussion, and Trustee Varney, you may file your 20s questions. Okay. Well, again, I my uh, hesitancy to do anything on this is that I really don't understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and what the economic impacts are. As I read the staff report, it seems that it's economic neutral. It doesn't conflict with the budget, and so I, I read that to mean it isn't conflicting on the upside or the downside, so there's no economic impact from this. So I was wondering, uh, just a real basic question, um, and let me throw this in before I ask the basic question. It's my understanding that the board that would be operating or making decisions with regard to this type of revenue would have to be neutral and, and not uh, appointed by the Board of Supervisors. 
and uh, I guess I'm, I'm, my question is: Is that correct? And if it, if uh, possible, let's stop with that. Let's start with that. Well, the initially the board would be appointed pursuant to the operating agreement reached between the county and AHS. So, if we were uh, this board and the Board of Supervisors were to propose to HRSA the joint co-applicant board as the governance structure, one element of that proposal would include an operating agreement by which this board and the Board of Supervisors would uh, come to agreement as to the establishment or the membership of that initial board. One of the requirements of the bylaws of the joint co-applicant board is that subsequent appointments to the board would be pursuant to their bylaws, being that it would be self-perpetuating under that board's bylaws. So after the initial appointment, there would really be no role for this board or the board of supervisors in the appointment of members to that board. Unless they wrote the bylaws in to do that? Well, no, no. They the, can't. The, the governance requirement okay. established by HRSA is that that board must have independent authority to establish its own membership on a going forward basis. And I guess the next question, what would be the responsibility of that new board if, if in fact it exists? And what would be their jurisdiction as compared to ours? So that board is established to uh, provide oversight to the uh, health care for the homeless program and ensure that the funds that have been authorized for that program from section under Section 330 of the uh, HRSA regulations are expended in a fashion which meets the needs set forth under the regulations. And in this particular uh, case, that they are actually providing uh, meaningful benefits you know, to a homeless population. So um, in part of the governance requirements that are established, by the HRSA regulations, you know, have this requirement of community participation with a goal of ensuring that people who are actually directly affected by the services or people who are knowledgeable of the needs of that community uh, are part of the decision-making process in terms of how those funds are expended. So their role would be to look at anticipated programs, the budgeting for those programs, uh, come to their own determination that the needs need that they're meeting the needs of the homeless community, and the distinction between them doing it and this board is that this board doesn't necessarily have members of those communities, you know, who are part of that board governance structure, uh, and so they don't have that peculiar perspective, which is the requirement under the regulations. Okay. Well, say we say we adopt a budget, and how would we know what amount of funds would be? under the jurisdiction of this other board as opposed to the funds under our jurisdiction? So as, as a practical matter, you know, the idea is that the money which uh, is available for these programs, um, you know, the you know, HCSA, you know, this board or, you know, this organization would, you know, develop proposals proposals, you know, for programs and services as they've always done, and they would budget those. They would propose those or submit those, you know, to this co-applicant board, you know, for their approval. Um, you know, arguably, if there is a, um, you know, you know, I hate to say good job, but, you know, arguably, if there's been a thoughtful job of developing those programs and services, it would meet the approval of the co-applicant board, and they would approve it. Uh, they would have the authority, you know, to say that we don't think that this accomplishes that, and then there would be discussions, you know, between, you know, that board and, you know, perhaps members of this board to resolve differences or issues. But as a practical matter, their authority would be to convince 
those who actually hold the purse strings, meaning the county and this organization, of the needed changes. Um, and you know we don't have a whole lot of history to determine how these disputes might be resolved if they reach an impasse. But you know we're going into it with the idea that we'll be able that we'll continue to doing the thoughtful work that we're doing, and that that would be acceptable to that new board. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not making myself clear, but it seems that it was my understanding that there was going to be revenue brought that brought in a new revenue of some sort, and that this new board would have some input on how that revenue was used to help the homeless. Is that an incorrect belief on my part? Uh, that, that's not entirely correct. What, it, what this is, is this is the, the same revenue stream that has always been there, and these are grants under Section uh, 330 uh, to provide for the health care for the homeless program. And so it's the same money. It's just that there's this new structure which is there to in, essentially provide a separate set of oversight as to how those funds are being expended beyond the oversight that we already have by this board approving the budget and overseeing programs of this organization and the same thing happening at the county what, level. What, what amount of funding are we talking about coming through this uh, source? It's, what do you call it, 303 source or whatever it is? 338. Uh, 330H. I believe the number yeah. is uh, it's approximately $3.1 million, which is directly funding under the program it has a larger impact you know in that there are other funds that are received by virtue of the operations of the FQHC which aren't directly related to the health care for the homeless program that funding is not subject to the jurisdiction or require the approval of the board that's separate so for example their board or our board I'm sorry to, to that their board. board okay the co-applicant board is only focused on the funds which are specifically being expended for programs under the health care for the homeless program. Any other funding that we receive, although it's sort of derivative of that, is not affected by you know the decision making that board we retain the decision making. But but a lack of but a lack of this board existing could jeopardize sixteen million up to sixteen million in other funding reimbursements that we receive yes. through FQHC. Correct. Yes. We, which that's the uh, Which is why we got to do it. Ability to have the status. Yes. Right. Oh. And we might be able to apply for more FQ, FQHC status, right? That's uh, the other thing. So this, that, the, the funding that is 16 to 18 million might actually go up. Not the homeless program, but what comes in through the FQHC status. Is, it, um, is that because David, would that be in any way connected to uh, having the, what do you call it, the Medi-Cal approval for FQHC? We're doing those other approvals. Would that impact the... Trauma team to the ER, we have a level two in eight minutes. Trauma team to the ER, we have a level two in eight minutes. Trauma team to the ER, we have a level two in eight minutes. Yeah, yeah I, I would... There, there, there are likely other opportunities under the jurisdiction of HRSA, you know, for the FQHCs. But with respect to this, you know, particular yes. one, this governance requirement is basically going to be the first step. And it also has a, <clears throat> a broader implication, you know, because, you know, what our relationship, you know, to this is dependent upon, you know, being able to meet, you know, the basic criteria. And if we can't, you know, establish, you know, or establish a or, or obtain a, approval from HRSA, you know, for this proposal that meets those requirements, then all of it, you know, would be placed at risk, I think, is it's fair to say at that point. So, so the point of this is not to, it, there, there isn't a drive to seek new revenue. This is a drive to sustain a 
funding and categories yeah categories that that we currently but have or designation that we currently my, have. my question is i think the answer was that there's 2.1 million dollars that they have a veto power over they can we can't use that without their approval is any of the, uh, the other ancillary would call it ancillary or collateral income we have a right to decide what we can listen to them but we don't have to is is that a correct statement well they the the I think it's correct, you know, from the standpoint that the board has oversight responsibility, which includes, you know, financial oversight. Uh, the organizations, you know, the regulations that, you know, require this governance option, though, are specific in, you know, pointing out that for where a public agency is involved, that they are entitled to retain their statutory authority over public funds mm -hmm. that, are at their disposal. Right, and so that would be the $2.1 million. Uh, 3.1. The $3 million, is that all they have? And and I'm I'm having the same kind of issue that, that Trustee Varney has, is, is, is the confusion. The the $60 million that we have been talking about. 16. $16 million, yes. excuse me. $16 million that we have been talking about. Has all of those dollars gone directly to the homeless program? No. That's a, no, the, the, okay. home, the homeless program is is one you know piece of this. Approximately, I want to say approximately three point one million dollars, and that is the jurisdiction, if you will, for this co-applicant joint co-applicant board. We other F, uh, funding that we receive by virtue of SQHC reimbursement is not subject to the you know covered by the jurisdiction of this joint co-applicant board so sort of two prong the first that the first thing is a is a the fundamental thing is an ability to uh, get the designation as a federally qualified health center that's a grant program so with the designation comes a specific grant that's about administering that program and do delivering services directly through that once you have that designation uh, all of the services that you provide to to people in those designated programs are subject to a different type of reimbursement than they would be if you weren't and the reimbursement rate is generally different uh, uh, better than it would be otherwise and so so they're they're getting this designation comes directly with a grant funding source and then it also inures to your ability to collect a different rate for the other services that you provide that are uh, above and beyond the, the the program itself does that does that help to clarify it at all well, again I, I have an ultimate question but my next question is um, to what extent will they have uh, the right to control any portion of our facilities? I mean, could they say we're going to take we're going to take our three million dollars and we're going to set up a soup kitchen uh, on the, the street outside the front of the hospital and we want to use our money for that? Do they have a right to do that without asking us, or do or do we contain retain physical control of this hospital and how it's used and whether we have union employees or not union employees or working hours or do they have now the ability to tell us with our three million dollars we're going to do it and we're going to set up what we want to set up and and uh, you know that's what we're going to do sure. we we retain control over those personnel and financial matters how about physical setting up feed feeding people on the facility uh, with uh, the money that they manage so we we have a, a a master lease agreement with the county. We don't we don't own the the, the land. I, I'm assuming you're talking about Highland when you said the facility. No, I'm just talking about what's their. It goes back to the initial question. What is their jurisdiction versus ours? 
Oh, no, I'm just I'm trying to answer the example you were just saying. Like, uh, there is uh, the, the, we, we don't own uh, uh, this land. We, we have different arrangements with each of the facilities that we uh, right. that we occupy. But but for for this matter, the, the, the land is owned by the county. We have a master agreement in everything. Tennessee for this. The whole this. place is owned by the county. Everything, the buildings, everything is owned by the county. That's not the case for San Leandro or Alameda. Well, I know. Yeah. Or for some of our clinics. They're not owned by the county. We okay. lease them from the other major people. assets are owned by the county, so. Or we, or they have some debt, of them. They have a debt against it that is far in excess. Of the, some of them, the yes. To pay. Some of them, yes. Yeah, that's right. Correct. So, so the question about what they could do would would not be uh, uh, within, in my mind, the, the the context of this. If they wanted to, and if they if they wanted to do something uh, uh, in that context, they would have to negotiate with the county uh, uh, if they were trying to do it on this land. And then I believe, although I don't know what the grant is, if you're, if you, it would be about healthcare services. I don't know that they could be providing. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's important to understand that, you know, this is a governing board. This is not a new organization that we're, that there is a healthcare for the homeless program. There will be an executive director for the healthcare for the homeless program, you know, <coughs> which will be, you know, an individual, you know, who has a dual role, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> a dual role with, you know, the healthcare for the services agency. Mm -hmm. And so that organization would, you know, determine the programs, which are, you know, generally the same types of programs which are in operation now. Mm -hmm. And the, the primary difference that we're talking about is that there is another group which will, you know, come to a determine or, you know, make a decision that, you know, yes, in fact, they understand that those programs which are currently in place, currently being operated, are, in fact, programs uh, that you know provide services intended by the grants you know being issued by HRSA, it would be beyond the authority of, of of a governing board you know to direct or manage you know, you know that's not its function. Its function is oversight. And the question to that board is: Do these programs satisfy the requirement of the regulation? Do they focus adequately on the needs of the homeless community for which the funds have been granted? And if the answer to that question is yes, then they've pretty much come to the end of their authority. Well, then my next question is, they bring in $3 million. Who pays the expense of, do we pay the expense of their staff, or does it come out of the $3 million? You're going to have an administrator, you're going to have another lawyer, you're going to have other people uh, yeah, I mean, independently advised. Just, just doesn't matter who they are, but they're going to have people that really don't work for us. They, they work for this new committee. Yeah. So who pays? Does it come out of the three million dollars, or do we pay that, and they get the use of the whole three million, or has that even been discussed? Well, that's part of you know, quite frankly, what would have to be determined in terms of the operating agreement between you know the county and um, and AHS, you know, with regard to setting up this because it is a joint board. You know, we <coughs> and tis, you know, so you know, essentially. There are a lot of costs which have already been incurred because, again, these these aren't programs which we're just creating from whole cloth. These are programs which are up and running now. The question is, you know, what additional steps might have to be taken in order to satisfy this new governance requirement. It's not creating, to our mind, an entirely new organization, but, you know, quite frankly, if in fact it did, it's their money, which we need, then we would be incurring those costs in some fashion uh, anyhow. But I, we we are basically anticipating that we would, as part of the negotiation of an agreement, come up 
with a mechanism, you know, to put all of that in place, and then, you know, to the extent that it would be, you know, incorporated as an item under the bylaws, that would be part of it as well, too. I think I clearly heard Dr. Clannon say last time that if it was a... Oh, she's here. Oh, I just saw here. them. I was okay. like, perhaps we should right. invite them back up here, too. You want to see? Do you guys no. want to come over? No, no, no. If you don't mind. Sorry. Hi, I'm Kathleen Klan, and I'm the medical director for Healthcare Services Agency. And this, the 330 program on on our side of the county side, is in, is in my portfolio. So I, I, I was saying that I heard you say that if it was a joint co-applicant board, then the county would be bearing the cost of host. I mean, op, the operationally, logistically managing the board, right? Technically, the. Technically, the requirement is on us because the county is the recipient of the grant, and we, you are our sub-recipient, so the obligation is for us primarily, and so th that, that would be our assumption. Thank you. I'll stop for a minute. If there are more questions, I do have one more question, but let's everybody else get a chance. Trustee Hernandez. Just a, a clarifying question. Um, if we were trying to simply avoid creating another governing body, my question is this. Is there a different FHQC that would partner to do this work with us? Well, so I'm assuming that's theoretical, of course, because they're not here to yeah, say yes or no. Uh -huh. the, um, the, uh, the grant that we have, the 330 grant, there are several varieties. The, the uh, FQHCs in the community are FQHC, they are 330E uh, um, grantees, uh, which I always think of as standing for everyone. I'm not think, I don't think that's actually why. But. And ours is a 330H for homeless. And there, is, there are different um, arrangements for those two. So uh, the 330H are really the only uh, grants which are offered to public entities such as the county and to AHS. We, were, we are otherwise not eligible for the E's without um, changes that go far beyond what we're talking about now. The, the primary one being that we would have to meet the requirement of 51% patients or people you know, receiving services. But there are others also that, um, that mean that really that program, the 330 program is not designed for public, it was never designed for public organizations to participate in. So uh, I think the answer to that is I can't think of a, of a scenario in which that would work. Thank you. I, I, I think it's just important for us to always ask the question, is there any mm -hmm. other process that we could have used to not have to create something cumbersome? So thank you. Um, I have a question, and actually um, Trustee Lawrence, or Trustee Fernandez is question made me think of this. So with regard to the public participation and the appointments to this governing board, which you have to be include homeless, um, the, the individuals that are being served, which would be homeless individuals, is that correct? The, the, with the regulations, so do you want to, go ahead. Well, no, no, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, because I think what the point is, is that the regulations, you know, identify those who are being served by um, or who are a member of the population, which is you know the, the target of uh, 
you know, the, the designation. So in this case, you know, H, you know, being homeless, or, or those who serve members of those community on a regular basis, I believe. So it, it generally speaking, is thought of as a patient of the service, but it could also be, you know, for example, you know, a provider, you know, who works with that population. So that would not be true under the, the, under the community of the 330Es? One thing that is different about the 330Hs is there's an acknowledgement that people who are homeless might have difficulty doing what you all do, you know, to participating as a board. So that, that's one small difference is that the, although the obligation is for us to find people that are, you know, who have this population who know them, you know, who know what their needs are, and it would be great if we could find people who have been homeless who could participate, but there's not actually an obligation in this, under this particular grant that there be 51% people who have been patients of the program. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. My other question. So when the public agency is referred to, the public agency retains fiscal and operational control, et cetera, that would be, that would be the county at, would, and delegated to the AHS. Yes. So, so generally speaking, there's only one public agency, and we are unique in California so far in having two. So in this case, we are the public agency that's being referred to. You are our sub-recipient. And the, um, because the feds don't want us to just be able to, for instance, be a pass-through to you and avoid all of what they've put in place to, to shape this program, they say, hey, if you have a, a sub-recipient, an organization's taking on a lot of the scope, they're also subject to the same requirements that you are to avoid you know, a, a pro forma kind of pass-through. So, so you all, as a second public agency, would, would be, uh, um, and our sub-recipient would be uh, uh, um, subject to this similarly. That's why one of the options was actually to have two co-applicant boards. And so to the extent that the, the, the requirements are that the public agency retain fiscal and operational control, is that with this, um, with any of these structures, would that still be... Is HRSA looking at that as a shared, the public agencies retain fiscal and operational control? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, this may be a place where I would pass it back to Mike, but my understanding is that we, um, the county, receives the grant. And uh, we hire the staff, um, uh, our, our, the director of the program, Dr. Francis, who was here with us last time, um, is our staff member, so that those uh, the the uh, main grant and the personnel who run it are our responsibility, and then the portion of the grant that comes to you and that you operate under as the subrecipient, those those would be the things that would remain under your control as they are now. Is that Mike today? That's okay. our understanding agreement. Uh, I, I have a question, and it's really just kind of a practical sense of, um, and I, I suppose I'm coming from um, the notion when I remember when f special education funds came down from the federal government, and uh, over time they became such a such a silo, and little by little the um, the supplemental dollars out of general fund into special education was just uh, it bankrupt some districts in California. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm always a little, a little leery about the federal government and new programs coming through. Not that I don't want them, as I'm just 
asking the question. So from a practical standpoint, it, knowing that the needs of the homeless are so large and almost insurmountable, and we have some strong advocates, thank heaven, for, for the homeless, which I'm very pleased we do, but when those advocates come forward and need more than what the grant is requiring, who, who says no? Is it the county who says no? Is it this board that says no? Who says no when there's a need for more dollars? Particularly when you now have a board who is coming forward, a separate board, a co-hap, that separate board, now asking for additional dollars. Who says no? Who has that? So the the scope of the activities for this joint co-applicant board, first of all, is over the Healthcare for the Homeless program. So, there, so it's not a, a generalized scope to talk about the generalized activities of either the or either the county or or of you. It's a it's really they have oversight over the Healthcare for the Homeless program. So they could say that they don't think we're using those resources. Um, efficiently, or that we're not leveraging them well, or that we're not putting them in the right kind of places. They could give us that kind of advice, but they, it, but um, we are not. Uh, but the idea that they would come to us and say, "We and want who's to the we? Who's the we, Kathleen?" When you say we could, Mike keeps using the term "board," and he goes back and forth. So yeah, who's confusing. who's the we? So the. Um, portion of the resources and the personnel that are under the control of the Board of Supervisors and those that are under control, under your control, right? So the Healthcare for the Homeless program actually partakes of both of those. So the county receives it the, the full amount originally and then delegates to you as subrecipient a certain amount of those, of those resources. So in a sense there's some overlap even. But uh, the the joint co-applicant board is is formed in order to be able to be sure that we, that we the, the county and that UAHS are appropriately using those resources. It is not for the purpose of advocating generally for homeless or for adding different programs. It's for oversight over the health care for the homeless program. And when you say those resources, what what is the definitive dollar relative to those resources? So um, there isn't, of course, a black and white answer to that question. But the Healthcare for the Homeless program has a scope, a formal scope that is agreed upon, right, between the, the Fed, federal government, and the county. That scope is defined, and it includes the grant that they give, and then funding that's given by the county, so there's about $8 million, it's, that's much of which is subcontracted out for additional services, and the services that AHS provides to homeless patients in your system, to the, you know, the health care for the homeless patients in your system, are all part of the scope of the health care for the homeless program. So that's it. That's the scope. Um, the part that's a little gray as far as the money goes is that some of your FQHC and hospital programs and everything are serving the homeless, So, but that's not like it doesn't have an exact dollar attached, right? But 
that scope that's defined in black and white in the scope of services, that is what the, the um, entity would have a say over with the caveat again that you and the county specifically control the purse strings always, all of it. And it's only tied to health care. So, so does health care extend to, to nutrition, to... Um, it's defined in black and white in the scope agreement. Yeah. So it's the services that are provided at certain specific sites at Highland Campus, the van, I certain see. subcontracted community services that are specifically laid out. And, it, and we could provide the current scope of services that you could review if you wanted to. I see. So I'm I sure see. there's some nutrition counseling in there, but it's not No, that, that, help, that helps a great deal. Yeah, yeah the, the feds are not are not particularly imaginative or forward thinking about what they consider to be, you know, in that scope, it's really quite, it's, you know, doctor, nurse services delivered at Eastmont to someone who is identified as, it's okay. that, it's that black and white. Okay. Thank and you. So these people, the, this new board, they don't actually have a bank account, right? Right. Correct. Okay. No, we're, we're, the feds are asking us to invite them in to give us advice about how we spend our money. Yeah. Yes, please. Uh, my, my concern with the motion is the way it's written. Um, I believe it would be more appropriate if the motion were to encourage the staff to go back and get more definition to what they're asking us to approve and let us see that, see these reports that you're mentioning, the scope and, and whether it's a, what it is or what it isn't, because we haven't seen any of that. And then let us, when we have everything in front of us, then we would approve this joint co-applicant governing board for health care for the homeless program. I think they'll approve it now and then let it up to the staff for them to to go forward with without our involvement and without our clearly understanding it is premature. I think that we ought to have it thoroughly in front of us as to what we're uh, going to do. I think everybody in this room supports the concept, but it's obvious that there are all sorts of gray areas yet that we don't necessarily know what that means. And I think until we do, I'm not comfortable authorizing the staff to uh, establish joint co-applicant board of health care for the homeless program. Uh, I, you can come back and recommend it to us, and then we, when we understand it, we could vote to establish it. Be you know, clear, Trustee Varney. We, you know, what we are, you know, asking is whether or not the board of trustees here feels that the joint co-applicant board is the proper form for us to pursue in further discussions with the county. We're not asking to establish anything. We don't have that authority. Uh, it's a question, though, that the in meeting with the county, we need to have a common understanding of what it is that we're going to attempt to do. And the joint co-applicant board is the yeah. one that makes sense in that regard. And so that's what we were asking. Yeah, and that's my point, that the, the way it is framed is not an accurate statement of what we're doing. We're exploring further to understand exactly what it means. We are not giving you folks over there authority to do what you want to do and not ever come back with us. But this resolution and sound that we're, we are establishing it without knowing what we're establishing. Okay. So it, well, we just I, want it to be clear. Okay, and that was certainly not intended to, you know, that... That, that that sort of authority was being you know requested or that you would be granted that so 
Could could you uh, on page on the agenda page fifty two where it uh, it's an attachment A, and it outlines it says the activity or authority includes, and it because because these are so general statements, it it doesn't really clarify. As an example. This um, and we'll just—I'm just taking one out of out of the air. It, evaluating parents' uh, patient satisfaction and quality improvement. So I'm assuming that that's the the home the satisfaction of homeless patients and their their satisfaction with with the hospital. So how does that document or whatever they're doing now require this staff to do some other kind of performance evaluation? So this board sits and says we want to do, uh, I'm trying to understand how the mechanics work in an organization when these general statements are so large and so big and they're same things that many of us are doing so what are the additional kinds of things? You know, um, establishing general policies for the health center. It, it is, it, do we have a health center that's just for the homeless? Well, well you know, I, I, I don't think... Then what does that mean? Well, I don't think we should presume that any of these require us to do anything different. So, you know, for example... But I can't know, presume that well, they don't. Okay, but so, well, let me explain what I mean by that. So if there is a requirement, you know, for example, here to evaluating patient satisfaction and quality improvement, we already have mechanisms in place where we make those measurements. The issue for this board is looking Who's at this board, us the, or? the joint co-applicant board okay. is looking at those systems and coming to their own determination that those satisfy the population which is to be served by this grant. It doesn't automatically mean that something else has to be done to satisfy these requirements. There's no presumption that these things aren't being done now, that the, that the programs in place are not adequately serving those populations or there are not mechanisms in place to evaluate the efficacy of those programs. There's no presumption about that. What this is making clear is that once this new board is in place, it has its own separate authority and obligation to look after these things the same way this board has already had the obligation and the authority to look at these things from the standpoint of its mission and how these things are evaluated and those things may in in all likelihood are already fully overlapping and aligned and there's so that's what I mean there's no presumption that this requires anything new this is basically just identifying for this new board what it's required to do oh yeah. so all so all of these things that are on this list mm -hmm. are in fact currently being done by the homeless program well well some of them are because i mean there's no there's no governing separate governing board for that for the yeah, health care for did, the i didn't say the governing board i'm saying uh, but, but we this, are but, so I mean, I can see how a governing board selects their their CEO and director. That's that's very clear. They, I can see how a board can do that. I, I'm trying to understand um, selecting services to be provided in hours of operation. So, if they're coming to the hospital to get services, the homeless individuals, 
they're not the, this board, this joint board, this. Uh, what do we call it? The authority? Joint co-applicant board. The, the, that board is not then setting up hours of operation. Well, no. I mean, that would not be the function of a board. The function of the board is to evaluate whether or not the staff, which has undertaken those programs, has done those in a fashion which is adequate to serve the interests of the homeless. So, you know, but then why do they list these things, Michael? So because because federal government. I'm sorry. Well, well, this is basically you know identifying what the jurisdiction of this new board is right. to be because they're basically establishing this as a governance requirement, and I think that there's a recognition that you know in the in the in the instance you know where you have. A co-applicant board, which means there's an organization which is doing this, and that this board has been established as a separate mechanism to do it. You have to define what this board's requirements are; otherwise, it just sort of becomes subsumed by the organization which is already there. But again, it's not to say that these requirements are not being done. The whole point of the new governments, you know, or 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 mandating these governance obligations is that you do have this separate sort of disinterested group which is going to do the things that can say that these things are being done. There's no, I don't think that there's any, again, you know, presumption by the, you know, these regulatory requirements that we are not doing any of the things that this board is being put in place to do, i.e., provide services consistent with the regulations, use the money as intended by the government, and serve the populations, you know, which are sought to be served. But HRSA, you know, and you know, as any other program which is you know designed to meet special needs, feels it's appropriate to have this independent body to do that, and that's how they've laid out these things to give that board guidance in terms of understanding that its oblig what its obligations are, because that joint co-applicant board is basically in place for that sole and specific purpose. Okay. Well, I don't. Can I, can maybe I the rest of the board is ready to. Please, I, was, I don't I want to cut to, anybody off. I was just going to try uh, two things here. Uh, one, uh, just to follow up on what Mike was just saying. So, so the requirements, all of, all of well, all of this activity right now is pursuant to a HRSA uh, um, site visit that we had, and the site visit was for HRSA to say, "You are grantee of this program. Here are the requirements of this program. Let us vet whether or not you're doing all these things that we that we would expect from the program." Right. So those are things like you know providing the services, monitoring the quality of the services, the patient satisfaction, the, all the things that they're saying that. If, you know, as a structure, you should be doing these things. Uh, one of the things that fell out of this was, but the way that your governance is structured, you're 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 not meeting our requirements. And we used to give you a waiver on those things. Now we're saying you specifically have to set up an entity that meets these requirements that is doing these things. So, so for example, hours of operations and things like that, we would still be doing. We, we will presume the exact same thing we're already doing. We wouldn't say, you know, the clinic is open from 8 to eight to 5 for everybody else, but for the homeless program, we're only open from, you know, 8 to 12 or something like that. We would say, here's where we provide the services for those individuals, uh, and, you know, these are the hours. When we talk about patient satisfaction, it would be, here's where they get the services. They're included in these surveys that we do. This is a reflection of the overall satisfaction with those clinical services. It would, I believe, uh, Mike was saying, is 
you know, whereas now we just share that with you or we'll share with the board of supervisors if they're interested. We'd have this now third entity saying, show us those things too, because HRSA now will be auditing the program. We're the governance for it. You're the, you're the uh, service providers for it. So we're all essentially in this together to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the population. Thank you. That's becoming more and more clear. I, I'm okay. just going to do a, a what if. Okay. So you did the reverse in the sense that we're restricting the homeless. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm interested if a board, a separate board, says, you know what? The hours that we're currently working from 6 in the morning till midnight really isn't enough. We mm -hmm. really need to work till 2 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that's what this board does. Who says, no, we can't do that? Who has the authority to say, no, we can't do that? Well, well I mean, that is certainly the, the type of guidance that this board could give to the Health Care for the Homeless program. You know, that, you know, we think we should expand our hours. And the staff of the Health Care for the Homeless program would evaluate that, determine, you know, how they're able to accomplish it, and come back to that board with, here's our proposal M for Michael, changing you, hours. Michael, you, you do it the reverse. I'm trying to do, you gave this board coming to our board going to and saying we want to expand the hours. No, no, no. He, he, was, he was talking about that oh. board. I'm talking yeah. about the board. So, okay, so yeah. the new board. So then, so and, they come and we say no. And, yeah, so, and. I'm, I'm just asking who, who says no? Uh, well. The, the, the county, the, this board, and. and it, it, well, in, in essence. If, if it requires, you know, spending money, which the county or AHS does not have to spend, then we, either the county or AHS, could say no. Because, again, this, the co-applicant co board doesn't have money that it's controlling. It's controlling the direction of the program. That, that's the question that I yes. think we asked at the beginning of this meeting. Is well, who says no. And, uh, and, and I just needed to know that. Okay, so I, I think it's appropriate to say that, you know, because again, as we've said, this co-applicant board does not have any funding. We have the funding. We retain fiscal control over, you know, financial matters, control over personnel matters. They basically give guidance on those programs meeting the requirements of, uh, of Section 338. Can I, can I, the, the other thing I was going to say to, to Trustees Varney's uh, question, I just want to clarify. So, uh, what my understanding of what has happened thus far is we knew that we, we and, and although we anticipated that, we knew that HRSA was going to say to us, you don't meet this particular governance requirement. So, in preparation for that, the county uh, uh, partnered with us, but they engaged the consultants to help us to figure out how might we do this. And the consultants came back with a set of options. Those options are what we have presented to you for ways in which we might do this. Uh, we have presented that to you. The uh, county staff have, has presented it to the health committee. Uh, we're saying or asking of, of, of both of you, um, should of these three, is there one of these three that you think we should pursue, meaning pursue to start to do the work because there's going to be a lot of work in actually setting it up, uh, want either one of these options. And then if you bless one of these options, which is what the ask is, and, and similar ask to them, then that work starts. And this is a point I wanted to clarify. When that is done, when we establish the, the conduit structure for whatever that is, 
doesn't that come back to these people to say, okay, here's what you've set up. Here's the various ways in which that might happen. Uh, here's the, you know, the bylaws, all that different stuff. Now you sign off on what we have produced because you're the ones who are establishing the board. We're just doing the work to do it, to, to actually facilitate that. Is that correct? Yes. So, so two things. One is that during the site visit that Mr. Finley um, referenced, uh, HRSA actually said that we had a stellar program. We subsequently got awards as a result of the program. So from their point of view, the program as it exists now, what we are doing and what you are doing is an exemplary program. The only problem, in fact, really, the only significant problem was this, I'm not going to call it a technicality, but this difficulty of governance. So what we need at this point in order to be able to go forward with our application with renewal is to tell them we understand what you told us and we are going to take an action. This is the action that we believe we're going to take. We know that there are many details to be worked out, which will be worked out in the next months. We need to tell them that we are taking an action and roughly what, what sort of action that will be. But we can and will be telling them that many details need to be worked out, and they will not be surprised by that. So we need to be able to have in the plan of correction that goes to them, because we did get a, the in, in the you know they they told us you need to get in compliance with this. So we need to give them the sense that of of some direction that we are jointly taking, and that's really what we're asking for. Yeah, and, and to be clear, this is authority to make a proposal that is of this form. It's not authority to, to do it. It's authority to, you know, okay. to make this proposal to the Healthcare Resource Services Agency so that they can give us their thumbs up. Trustee Hernandez. No, I, I, I defer to my colleague. Okay. I just want to add before we vote that <clears throat> we have our Healthcare Services Agency director. We've been talking about collaboration with the Board of Supervisors and being more closely aligned with the county. We were just lauding our improved relationship moments ago during our CEO report. And therefore, based on the recommendation of the experts and based on the importance of this program to both our organization because of the ancillary funding and to the homeless population that is growing, mm -hmm. um, I highly recommend unanimity in our support of this going into our meeting next week, um, understanding that there are details that have to be worked out, but unanimity will show the strength of this relationship and this collaboration, which I hope will continue to grow as we move forward. Uh, we've spent a lot of time on this. We spent a lot of time on it a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it's crystal clear to me, and thank you. I simply uh, want to echo uh, Trustee uh, DeVries comments and uh, I think we just need a little bit of language even in our motion here that we expect to have some clarity about those details coming back to us. I think fences make good neighbors and so there's some real challenges here with having some of these items that I see in the attachment A just seem really broad to me and, and it raises some concern. Uh, and I think we just should be very clear what is that board's governance going to be directly about. There's a lot of nuances in the languaging that's in attachment A. I get it. It was meant as a frame-up for what we need to do. 
but I think that's what would calm everybody's you know concerns. Can I point out that attachment A is the direct language from the federal government, yeah. not created by the county? Right. It's, it's, no, okay, I just want to make sure everyone understands. That's a cut and paste, right? Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. But to that point, can our or does our um, scope of work with for the application does that include the role and um, parameters of the co-applicant board? Would it, if, if it's approved, would, how much would the board, the co-applicant board, be discussed in the application? So you know, the steps are deciding which form we want to, to adopt and pursue. And then if that form that we're adopting or pursuing is a co-applicant board, it is you know, developing a operating agreement between the main body and that board, you know, which basically for that board, which lays out how you know, all these responsibilities are distributed against each other and creating a set of bylaws, which is going to be the governing document for that. So again, all of that is to be worked out. The very first step, though, is just deciding are we doing this jointly with <coughs> the county or are we doing this simply by ourselves on our own. That's, you know, so that will all be done and that's part of what is anticipated is that you do have to have an operating agreement so that you can bring a little bit of clarity uh, and certainty to some of the things in terms of who will do what and how things will get done overall. So that is anticipated. Well, but my question was with regard to the agreement between the, the public agency and HRSA. So I'm just asking kind of a technical question about the application itself. Does the application probably, I would imagine, includes a scope of work of some sort? And um, my question is, and, it, and there would be somewhere in the application where it would say what is the structure of the governing board, right? Yes. So there would be, it would say it's a co-applicant board, but it wouldn't have any additional information as far as you know about the responsibility or authority of that board, except that it's in compliance with section whatever of the... So, so the, the process is that there are two pieces. We submit a plan of correction, right. which goes to, the, to the, um, the finding that we had during, the, during our site visit. The plan of correction will say, we heard you, and this is how we are proceeding and what the rough timeline is. Then the actual application, our reapplication, will not happen until August, and at that time we will need to have more detail. So, but the the plan of correction only needs to say this is the direction we are planning to go, and that you know, and, and with the timeline that shows that we will by August. Even by August, we don't probably even have to have the board actually seated as yet. We just have to show them that. We have been marching along a process that we are not um, telling them to go fish. But so we then, with regard to um, Mike's point about the bylaws and how the structure between the the um, the co-applicant board and our agencies is structured, would that say, for example, in that um, bylaw that that the public agency selects the executive director, which is the case now, and which I, if I read the uh, attachment correctly according to HRSA and according to the, um, the statute, that ED or CEO or whatever would be selected by the co-applicant board. So can that be a addressed or, um, or 
resolved in the bylaws, or would that be just something that we would just say, well, you know, we already have an ED co-applicant board, so just go with it and don't worry about it. What, what I'm going to go out on a limb here and try to reproduce what county council has said about this. I'm going to see if Mike's understanding is the same. Um, these things are really written for community organizations. And there, the community organization, the Board of La Clinica selects that executive director. But the, because 330Hs can be public entities, um, the Board of Supervisors is, in fact, not allowed by other statutory uh, processes to, to give over authority to any other body for the budget or for um, control over its personnel. And that drives. Okay. So because of that, that's the reason why the things that Mike has said repeatedly that those two limits are, is because as a public agency and spending you know, tax dollars, et cetera, et cetera, the Board of Supervisors cannot cede that power. Uh, I'm not sure to what extent that, that same thing applies to you all, but that is a, you know, a difference between, uh, and, and HRSA understands that, and it is part of the reason why this, uh, all over California, multiple counties are, are dealing with this same And And that's difficulty. a good point. I mean, La Clinica, for example, um, is overseen, in their hours and et cetera, are overseen by their board, by the board of La Clinica. But, so I can see how that would work. I, I, I guess I was confused a little bit, and the attachment seemed to, um, although in uh, a couple pages earlier, a reference to the attachment said that the, the co-applicant board provides independent oversight and the public agency retains control of operations and personnel. Well, that's, that's what we anticipate. So as long as that's the case, and, and it's not exactly as specified in the attachment, and those provisions can be addressed, I guess, in the bylaws or in the agreement, then that's fine. Then I support this for sure. I only see one additional light. Have you? Uh, I'd like to call for the question. Um, Trustee Varney, do you have any? No, no, I just forgot. Okay, okay. I, I do want to make certain that um, we are communicating as a board, and I, I, I'm speaking for them, although they'll probably hit me later, but to, to say that, that our questions and our probing has nothing to do with the, the hesitancy in a relationship. But we do have a fiduciary responsibility. We've been we've been monitoring our budgets pretty carefully, and I think all the issues that were raised here today are the hesitations to make certain that we can keep on our our path. So please don't take away the idea that that there's any hesitation in our in our budding relationship. Okay. All right. Can I call for the question? All those in favor of the proposal of a the co joint applicant board, thank you very much. Uh, all those in favor of that proposal, signify by saying aye with the provision, and we should have it. Excuse me, have it in the memo that there is an understanding that this will in fact come back to us at a later date for for final for review and final approval. Uh, aye. aye. Any negative? Good. Thank you. Okay, moving right along here. What do we have next here? The finance report. Oh, David. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, Mr. Finley did a terrific job of summary, summarizing the major uh, financial activity for the month. We do have a finance committee on uh, <clears throat> in next week, and we're looking forward to uh, providing a lot more detail on our capital plans. And so, happy to respond to any questions. Okay. Great. Any other questions? Thank you, David. Uh, it was there for discussion, so I, I don't have uh, anything else. Um, any additional public comment? Any comment from the board? Am I missing something? Oh, I beg your pardon, our committee reports. I thought those reports were, in fact, in writing. And so that's the question that I asked. Are there any questions? Okay. I just wanted to let um, point out to everybody that um, David made a really good presentation on sources of supplemental funding at the um, last finance committee. And for those trustees not on the committee, I would encourage you to take a look at that. Um, about 40% of our revenue comes from supplemental funding, so this is pretty important. And, um, and it's something that will come up in the strategic financial plan because that's slated to end in five years unless something is done. So a, a big portion of it. So I just encourage everyone to take a look at that. And it's very interesting stuff. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Just Can wanted to uh -huh. make a correction that I wasn't at the February 3rd meeting. So if that could be corrected. It says members present, and my oh, name is included. In you were the there in spirit. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Suzanne. Any additional public comment? Okay, we are adjourned uh, into closed session. So the board is adjourning into closed session. Um, so we are going into closed session. Yes. Now we're going.